understand what the gospel is, then we're going to have a difficult time communicating it to others. Shin Yi's way of saying that we're sharing about Jesus. And gospel, that word comes from um, originally a, a sense of good news. What is good news? So when we share the gospel, we are sharing good news. And so this morning we want to understand what is this good news? What is the good news that is at the core of our faith? What is the good news of Jesus? And how do we share that with other people? So I just want to ask and pose a question as I start the message this morning. And the question is this. If I said to you that tomorrow at some point during your day, whether you're at work or at school or the store or wherever you happen to be, at some point tomorrow, you will have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. What would you say? And I don't mean, would you be like, no, no, I don't want to. I'm scared. I mean, what would you say? What words would you use? What stories would you tell? What images would you use? If you opened up the Bible with that person, where would you turn to? What passages would you have them read so they can see the gospel for themselves? And so with that question in mind, this morning we're going to look at what is the gospel so that we know as a church what is this gospel that we're wanting to share. So to start with, I want you to think of a picture. So some of you, you might have this at your own, your own home, but in your front door, sometimes you'll have one of those little little holes where you can look through. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, little people. And you look through, and you can kind of see like this. So you can kind of see like what's directly in front of you. You guys know what I mean? And so if somebody knocks on your doors late at night, you don't want to open the door, but you want to see who it is. You look through that little hole. And you can see through, and you can get a pretty accurate picture, right? Usually you can tell who it is. If you recognize the person, if you don't recognize them, you get a sense pretty quick by looking through that little hole. But it's a really, really narrow view. You can't really see to the right or to the left. You don't really have a great picture. You have enough to go on, but it's not great. And it's a little distorted too, right? The person's face is kind of like looking strange. That fisheye lens effect where their nose is really big. It's like really in front. So you can picture what I mean. Often when we share the gospel with people, we do the equivalent of making them look through that little hole. We give them a really narrow view of the gospel. We give them this really direct and focused way of thinking about the gospel. And to a certain extent, it works. People still understand something about Jesus. But this morning, what we want to do is open up the door so we don't have to look through that little hole. And so we see the wider vision of what the gospel is. So what does this narrow way of communicating the gospel look like? Well, often what it looks like is we boil the gospel down into things like four spiritual laws. You know, God loves you, has a plan for your life, that type of thing. Or we make it about ABCs. Accept Jesus, believe in him, confess your sin. And we've made it about these principles and these catchy ways for people to understand the gospel. And 
sometimes if we have a little bit of extra time, we'll kind of do this approach as well, where we'll take them along this path. So we'll say to that person, I'm going to share the gospel. Here it is. First of all, we're all sinners and separated from God. We cannot do enough good deeds, say enough prayers, or think enough pure thoughts to bridge the gap between us and God, even though we desperately long for this gap between us and God to be bridged. We need Jesus to come in and bridge this gap. And he has done that through his death on the cross because he loves us. So now by praying a prayer, confessing your sin and accepting Jesus into your heart, you can be forgiven of your sins and the gap between you and God can be bridged and you can go to heaven instead of hell. That is, that's the little lens view of the gospel. It's really focused. It's really narrow. But it goes straight to the point. And that often is the gospel as we understand it and as we communicate it. And what I want to say this morning is that the gospel is so much bigger. What I just said was the plan of salvation that's included in the gospel. But the gospel itself is so much bigger, so much more magnificent, so much more exciting, so much more interesting. And so I want to open up the door so we can see that wider view of the gospel this morning. So we don't have to look through that little lens ourselves. And so we don't have to force other people to look through that lens. So in order to do this, we're going to start by reading in the New Testament. And what we're going to start with is looking at how did the original followers of Jesus, those who came right after him, those who met him, how did they understand the gospel? Because if we know how they understood the gospel, then we can use that as a reliable template to share the gospel with others. So if we understand, for example, how the Apostle Paul understood the gospel, or how did Peter understand the gospel, if we know what their understanding was, we can use that and then use that as a way to share the gospel with others. So we're going to turn to one of the best examples in the whole of the New Testament of what the gospel message is, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're going to read a little bit of that. Okay, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. Reading at verse 1. My brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So Paul had previously visited the city of Corinth and founded this church. And now he's writing that church this letter and communicating some different things to them. And this is one of the things that he's writing to them about. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So we'll stop right there for a moment. A couple of um, important things that come out of this section of scripture. First of all, Paul starts it off by talking about the fact that he's reminding them of the gospel he had preached. So the preaching of the gospel has already happened. Paul has preached the gospel to the Corinthians. And what he's doing is reminding them of the gospel. He's reminding them what that gospel message is. And from these verses, we know that the Corinthians received the gospel message from Paul and that they put their firm foundation in this gospel message and they were saved. So Paul preached this gospel message successfully to this church. They received it. They put their faith in the gospel message and they were saved. That's what these verses 
talk about. So whatever is about to directly follow is the gospel, as Paul understood it. Because he's just told us, I want to remind you of the gospel message. So here it is, verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. There it is. The gospel as Paul understood it. Okay, so there's a few important things for us to pick up on here in these verses. First of all, the gospel is all about Jesus. And it's not about four spiritual principles or four spiritual laws. Those are great for the plan of salvation. It's not the gospel, though. The gospel is solely focused on Jesus. And that's the first kind of big point of what is the gospel. Solely focused on Jesus. And not just anything about Jesus. It really highlights these four important events these four crucial events in the life of Jesus. And we see them right here. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he appeared to many. Four events in the life of Jesus. And often we have a pretty good grasp of the first one, right? That he died for our sins. And we talk about that a lot. He died on the cross for our sins. We sing about that a lot. We're pretty familiar with that piece. And that is central. That is absolutely central. But we need to be really careful to move beyond that and include these other three elements. There were lots of people who claimed to be God and claimed to be Messiah in the time of Jesus and in Jerusalem. And a lot of them died. A lot of them were crucified even. But they were not the Messiah. How do we know Jesus is the true Messiah? Because even though he was buried, God raised him from the dead. How do we know that God raised him from the dead? Because he appeared to many. And so we need to be careful that we tell the whole story. We need to make sure that we tell the whole story about Jesus. So it is important, like I say, to keep the sense of Christ died for our sins. And there's um, three elements to this that you can share with people to kind of help them understand it a little bit more. So when Christ died for our sins... He, first of all, died with us. He died with us. What do we mean by that? Well, when Christ came to this earth, he was fully human and fully divine. And in his full humanity, he lived out what it is to be human. From birth to death. And so, for each of us, there's a time when we will die. And in that moment, we can be confident that Christ knows what that experience is like. We can be confident and draw comfort from the fact that he has gone ahead of us in life and ahead of us in death. He died with us. There was full identification of what it was to be human. Number two, he died instead of us. And so this one we we really associate pretty readily with the cross and the work of the cross, that Christ died instead of us. And so often when we share 
you know, the story of salvation with people. We're talking about the fact that people are distant from God, that there's sin, that there's this barrier, that we can never get to God and that Christ has to make a way. That there's this sense of he dies in our place. He takes the wrath of God. He takes the punishment of God. He takes that upon himself on the cross when he died. We're, we're pretty familiar with that. He died instead of us. And finally, he died for us. He died so that we could be redeemed, that we could be brought back into relationship with God the Father because of his great love. He died to win us back, to draw us back. So those are three ways to kind of unpack that section a little bit more. Paul received this gospel. Who did he receive it from? He received it from God himself. In the story of Paul's life, he has this very dramatic encounter with Jesus. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and then he spends a significant period of time receiving directly from God, receiving revelation, and the gospel message he received directly from God himself. And so as he received it, he then passed it on to the Corinthians. And that's a model for us. As we receive the gospel, then we pass it on to others who in turn receive it. Final thing to note from these couple of verses is you'll see when Paul is trying to be very precise and talk about those four events in the life of Jesus, twice in that list of four, he said that these things happened in the life of Jesus according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Well, that must be pretty significant part of the gospel if he puts it in twice in those two verses when he's just talking about the bullet points of what the gospel are. So what scriptures is Paul talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. And he's talking about the story of Israel. And this is the second big point, is that the gospel is the story of Jesus, but it is also the story of Jesus that follows the story of Israel. And when you divorce the gospel from the story of Israel, as we see it in the Old Testament, you rob the gospel of all of that foundational underpinning and you make it this very abstract set of principles and you focus solely on what it is to be saved. But instead, the gospel is where we preach Jesus and we preach him as the fulfillment and culmination of everything that came before in the Old Testament. And that's really, really clear in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, if you read those, it is clear that Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of the longing of those scriptures in the Old Testament. Jesus saw himself as the true king and the true Messiah. Peter and Paul and the other disciples and apostles, they preached Jesus as Messiah, as the, as the one that they had waited for, for generations to come and to rule them with righteousness and justice and to bring peace. And if you rob the gospel of all of this underpinning. You rob it of its foundation and its strength. You rob it of that core. And so we'll actually see an example of this in some verses that follow in 1 Corinthians 15, and then we'll jump over to Acts and we'll look at another example of this. So jumping down, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, we'll read a few verses, and then we'll uh, jump over to Acts 2. So verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You see, there's a very clear reference to the Old Testament right there. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he, notice the quotation marks here, this is a direct reference back to an Old Testament passage. He has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So I just want to make a couple of quick points about these verses. First of all, the gospel focused on Jesus looks backwards. We just talked about that. It looks backwards to the Old Testament. It looks backwards to the story of Israel. You see two clear references to that in these verses. First of all, it talks about Adam and the fall and sin coming into the world. Two, there's a direct quotation from the Old Testament you see in the quotation marks. It goes right back to the Old Testament. The last few verses in this passage we just read point forward in history point forward in time that there is an ultimate end to the gospel and the ultimate end to the gospel is that Christ is victorious over all that he will defeat every single last enemy they will be put under his feet which is a picture of him dominating and being victorious over every last enemy the last enemy will be death it will be defeated and then Christ will turn everything over to God the Father and we will worship God the Father because of what Christ has done and that is the gospel That huge sweep of history where God began after the fall in Genesis and he spoke to Adam and Eve and he said, through your seed, redemption will come, salvation will come. And he worked it through Abraham, he worked it through Israel, he worked it through King David, he worked it through the prophets where Christ was the culmination and he works it through the church today and he moves it forward through history. Ultimately, the gospel message will culminate with God being all in all. And that is a much bigger picture than four spiritual laws. It's a much bigger reality than saying the gospel is just about personal salvation. So let's look at another example, just so we really can see this in Scripture. Because we want to use Scripture to guide us in how we share the gospel with other people. Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, there's lots of people in Jerusalem, there's lots of stuff going on, and a huge crowd is gathered, and Peter gets up to speak to the crowd, and uh, we're going to jump in, Acts 2, verse 22. So Peter gets up, he's addressing the crowd, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. So this is the start of his gospel presentation. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. So you see right there, he doesn't start with, people of Israel, you are all sinful. You need Jesus. He will bridge the gap in your heart between you and God the Father. He doesn't start there. He starts with Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to, to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God... Okay, so you're going to see those four things we talked about in the life of Jesus that Paul talked about in his, his illustration of what the gospel is. We already saw the first one. He died on the cross. Okay, now we're going to see two and three because we're going to presume that Christ was buried because here's the third one. God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, okay, where did David come from? Who's David? Well, that's King David in the Old Testament. So you can see, not only we're getting these four events in the life of Jesus, we're not getting the gospel tied right back to the Old Testament. David said about him, quote, directly from the Old Testament here, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. So that was all a Old Testament quote right there that he's building his gospel message on. So now Peter, commenting on that, says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses of the fact. Well, there's number four from Paul's list. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David, back to the Old Testament, did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, quote, from the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Well, we just read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, that image of the enemies of God being under the feet of Christ. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So you see there the four key events Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 in the life of Jesus. He died for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day, and appeared to many. You also see that we move right back to the Old Testament as a basis for this gospel message. You see that clearly in Acts chapter 2. Now, in our world today, there are lots of alternative gospels and lots of alternative gods. 
And it kind of depends where you live what those might be. For a lot of people in the world today, the gospel that they're encouraged to follow is the gospel according to Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna. There are also the gospels of ancestor worship or they're encouraged to follow the gospel that there is no God at all. And there are lots of alternative gospels that set themselves up against the gospel of Jesus. And one of the most incredible things to realize is that the gospel of Jesus is demanding that we acknowledge that it's the one true gospel, that Jesus is king. You can't follow the gospel to its logical conclusion where all enemies of God are under his feet and not believe that it is the one true gospel. And in a world where there is competing uh, gospels and competing gods, the story is who is the one true God? Where do we get a picture of that? We get it in the Old Testament. It is throughout the Old Testament. Whose God is ultimately the true God? There are some other gospels that in our culture are really tempting to follow and put our faith in. And these are just a few of them. There's the gospel of individualism that says, I am the center of the universe. It's all about me. There's the gospel of consumerism that says, I am what I own. There's the gospel of nationalism that says, my nation is God's nation. Gospel of moral relativism that says we cannot know what is universally good. There's the gospel of scientific naturalism that says all that matters is matter itself. It's the gospel of new age that says we are all gods. The gospel of postmodernism that says all that matters is what I believe or the group I belong to. And there's the gospel of salvation by therapy that says I can reach my full human potential by inner reflection. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Paul says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments with every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When we focus on the gospel of Jesus, we combat these false gospels and every argument against the knowledge of God. When you share the gospel, where you start from is really important. It makes a big difference where you start. Because if you don't start in the right place, you're going to have a hard time ending up where you want to go. And I don't know if you've ever been trying to share the gospel with someone. And you've been using that that little narrow lens that we talked about a few minutes ago. And you're trying to persuade that person that they are a sinner who desperately needs Jesus. And they seem to be putting up resistance to that idea. And they say, well, I don't feel like I'm a bad person. I feel like I'm, I'm actually a good person. I mean, I give money to charity. I volunteer my time for good causes. I treat other people with respect. I don't steal. I work hard to care for my family. And you're telling me I'm a bad person? Have you ever had that sentiment or that experience and you're like, oh, this isn't going so well? What did Peter do 
uh, in Jerusalem that day. He stood up and he pointed to Jesus and he shared the story of Jesus. He didn't get up and say, you are really far away from God. You are all sinners and you need to repent right away. Here is how. He got up and he shared the story of Jesus. And he let the Holy Spirit come in and do the work of conviction. In sharing the gospel, our goal is not to persuade someone of their sinfulness. Our goal is to faithfully declare that Jesus is Lord. And let the Holy Spirit do the work that the Holy Spirit is supposed to do, which is bring conviction of sin. So you'll notice at the end of that sermon in Acts 2, what was the people's response? They repented because they saw for themselves their sinfulness. And then they came to faith in Christ. And so we focus on the gospel as the gospel of Jesus. And this really frees us up to share Jesus and not have to work tricks so that people feel persuaded that they're sinful. Now the reality is we are all sinful and we do all need Jesus and we do all need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. But when we're sharing the gospel, we don't have to feel like we've got to persuade people, but instead invite the Holy Spirit to do the work of conviction. When the gospel is bigger than individual salvation, there's a couple of other really important things that it means for us. If you are sharing the gospel with someone and you start with that person's need of salvation, who is at the center of that gospel story? They are. When we place ourselves or other people at the center of the gospel, that's not the gospel. Jesus is at the center of the gospel. The gospel was never designed to be a way for us to reach maximum human potential and fulfillment. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we faithfully proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And that's not to say that we're going to be bypassed, that God will forget about us, or we're not important to God. It's just that the gospel's different. The gospel is this bigger story of what God is doing to redeem all of creation. And we are swept up in that. We are carried up in that great salvation story that he's unfurling throughout history. We're caught up in that. But when we focus on us as the center of the story, we miss the point. Another thing that happens when we see the gospel as this larger thing is we begin to look around and see, well, God's just not redeeming humanity. The gospel is for the entire of creation. The gospel is for the entire of creation. And so that means that when we struggle with this, well, should I share the gospel or should I um, help, you know, in what we tend to call social justice? It's the same. It's the same within the big picture of the gospel. Because God is redeeming all things. He's redeeming the physical creation. He's redeeming systems of justice. He's redeeming all of it. And as part of the gospel and our proclamation of the gospel, we get to share Jesus in those situations too. We get to share Jesus into those realities. But when you just focus on the gospel is about personal salvation, you're blinded to the fact that the gospel is bigger. And you're blinded to the effects of the gospel in our wider culture. So in closing, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, that he is king, that he is Lord, 
that the gospel message of Jesus is not divorced from the Old Testament and the story of Israel, but rather is the culmination and fulfillment of it. When we tell the gospel, we proclaim Jesus, and then we summon people to repentance. And we say, now you have heard, you need to decide. You need to believe in Jesus. Because we do believe that the gospel saves and the gospel redeems. And so if you have more time, you share the gospel of Jesus, you share him, you share who he is, you open up the Bible and you share the stories of who Jesus is as we see them in the New Testament. And if you've got even longer, you share the gospel by talking about Jesus starting at Genesis 1. And you go back to creation and you show how we were originally designed to be partners with God in stewarding his creation. We were made in his image and yet we're fallen. And now we are being restored back to relationship with God. And you take them through the work of God with Abraham and with Moses and the people of Israel and David and the prophets. And you take them through the story. By the time they see Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, they will be anticipating a Savior to come because they will have seen the brokenness in the story of Israel and the promises of the Messiah to come. And it will make so much sense because they will have seen the Gospel laid out before them. And so our goal is to understand the Gospel in a bigger sense so that we can begin to share it with other people and to invite them into this larger gospel story. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you that the gospel is all about you, and that as we faithfully proclaim who you are, that people will be drawn to you, they will be brought into the kingdom, and that lives will be changed, people will be saved. We just thank you so much for your gospel message, for your good news. And we just praise you for your word this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Graham. That was awesome. All right, so I've got a couple announcements for you guys. But first, I want to start off with highlighting this nifty little connection card in your bulletin. That's a great way to communicate with the church. So you can let us know if you have any prayer requests or people that will pray for you throughout the week. You can let us know if you have any change of contact information that way. And you can just let us know you're here. Just fill it out with your name so we know you came today. Um, Also, you can use that connection.